the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. And you want to talk about what we can talk about? It's really a show dedicated to getting your retirement. I pledge that if you listen, I will do my very best to try to provide you some insight on what's going to happen in the year to come. Um, it's not rocket science. Uh, I believe Wall Street is directly tied towards capitalism and that capitalism works in cycles where right now we are winding down our growth and we will we will fire people. And as the United States fires people to no longer serve the growth, that'll cause a recession. The recession will bottom us out. After we're good and bottomed out, we'll uh, start another growth cycle. But we are one year into the unwinding. It typically takes about 18 months. to 36 months in the recent years it's been more like 18 months if you believe in capitalism it'll kind of work that way let's talk about some of the things that i didn't get to talk about this week apple's upcoming headset will reportedly include auto adjusting lenses and a dial to switch from vr to the real world this is a dangerous time to, to be following Apple, and I own shares of Apple, because we've seen what the headset has done to Meta, a.k.a. Facebook. Do we really want to put something on our head? I don't know if we're there as a society. I'm a little bit image obsessed, I think. I don't know. Is that fair to say? I don't want to look too sloppy. I don't want to look too too well put together. But I certainly don't want to look. And let's go back to when I was 20 years old. Rob Black dated women. I certainly don't want to be like, hey, honey, can you pass me the headset? Can you put on two? Can we watch a movie together? The thing that I'm, I'm most excited with uh, virtual headsets and augmented reality headset is, is watching concerts. And I like to watch live music. There's something or even you put me the, the 50 yard line of the Super Bowl this year with a headset on. I'd probably be game for that for about two, three, four minutes. And then I just want to see other people's faces like we are really losing ourselves, right? So Apple's anticipated mixed reality headset will have auto adjusting lenses. Cool. It'll have a physical dial where you can switch between VR and real world. 
The headset could potentially launch this year, 2023, after Apple missed its goal to ship it last year. We're learning a little bit more about it. The company has not formally announced the mixed reality headset. Uh, information reported so far has said it's going to look similar to ski goggles and have multiple cameras for both augmented and virtual reality. The latest version of Apple AirPod Pros were reportedly built to sync with a headset. So, okay, so the AirPods are going to be able to fit into your ear so that the goggles don't fit over your ear. You see where I'm starting to go, oh, this would kill 20-year-old Rob who was like just trying to meet people. Can you imagine inviting your best friend over and like, we're going to have a rib cook-off. We're going to have a rib cook-off. And then we're going to watch the big football game this weekend. And sitting on the couch like, hey, can you pass the headset? So I don't know. I don't get it yet. Of course, I don't get it because it's not out yet, right? Apple's remained quiet about it. When it launches, the headset will be the newest product group since the Apple Watch in 2015. Apple's been working on the headset for seven years. It initially planned to release the headset in 2019. The product was then scheduled to ship out by the end of 2022, a goal that Apple missed. We know that the headset will have software called Reality OS, or it's going to be called XR OS. Adding the headset hardware may have the same name, the XR. That's kind of an interesting name for headset which would stand for Extended Reality, XR. The headset will probably include both AR and VR capabilities. The headset has faced setbacks for years. It's gone through different versions. The headset now is apparently in what's called assembly phase. It's passed several prototype stages and engineering validation tests to see if it can be mass-produced. So second half of 2023 because of software-related issues, is the delay, they say. I don't know. I'm getting a little nervous. As a fanboy or as someone who's more than pleased and happy to hold on to Apple through good times and bad times, it's probably going to ship about 500,000 or fewer headsets this year due to the product shipment being delayed so far. The headset is expected to be at least $3,000 which is double the price of Meta's very first AR VR headset, the Quest Pro. Man, I I spent some time with the Quest Pro. It is not ready for prime time. I know Apple tends to do things better than Facebook. But uh, interesting note that the Quest, the Oculus product that Facebook put out, In the past few years, year-to-year sales declined 2%. That is not, 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 not a good thing. When you're a new product and you're a tech product, you better be growing at more than 2% a couple years after debut. Like when the Apple Watch came out, a lot of people mocked it. And I guess to this day, you could still say it's not a Rolex, but it sells better than a Rolex. But when it first came out, people were like, ah, it'll never get mass adoption. Years later, take a look at people's wrists today. 
800-516-1220 to each calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to each calls on the air. I'm going to go through a lot of content today, um, so be ready. Jeremy Grantham flagged a super bubble in asset prices. He warned of an epic market crash last year. I like Jerry Grantham, even though he's not saying everything that I want to hear. I'm okay with that. One of the things he said last year was most of the super bubbles go below trend and stay there for quite a while. This time the trend is at most 2,500. It can be hard to prevent the market from declining to that level. So he's saying the market can plunge 34% this year. You got to listen to him, whether you like him or not, you got to listen to him. He says Bitcoin is not a good reserve of value, as we've seen. It's a terrible currency exchange. It's expensive to transact, but worst of all, it's deadly to the environment. It's incredibly energy intensive to give you a speculative instrument to wager on. That's it. 30. The fact that it takes our precious energy and our carbon footprint to an extreme is the worst crime of all. It's going to go away sooner than later. He thinks Bitcoin's going away. I don't know. I think it's worth listening to. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Questions about Social Security? Check out the Social Security Retirement Guide at robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. So I'm trying to do a show today that's strategy oriented. I like leaning on quotes from really smart people who are rich, who have obviously created wealth. Um, Yeah, sometimes you have to look at them and go, okay, Elon Musk created his wealth, and now his quotes are a little bit wackadoodle. They're a little bit tougher for me to use Elon Musk quotes now that relate to you. But legendary investor Jeremy Grantham flagged a super bubble in asset prices. He predicted a historic market crash. He's got a lot of quotes in 2022 that I think are really, really smart. Two more that I want to throw down for you are, he said, each cycle is different and unique, but every historical parallel suggests the worst is yet to come. So he's talking about economic cycles. And he's trying to say, yeah, we started a downturn in 2022 with higher inflation. Fed has responded by raising interest rates. And he thinks we're not done going down or cycling through. This next quote up that is worthy of note is this is a more dangerous looking moment in global economics than even the madness of the housing bubble of 2007. This is the more dangerous looking moment in global economics than even the madness of the housing bubble of 2007. The deterioration of fundamentals on a global basis looks absolutely shocking. Okay. Okay. That's why you need to digest and go, okay, okay. I keep mind asset bubbles were problematic. Um, and through the years, our government has changed how we handle potential asset bubbles. And stock buybacks are now legal. All assets are currently overpriced. Even more so due to the quantitative easing that the Fed did and lowered interest rates. That's a tough concept. But when the Fed lowered interest rates for years and years and years and years and years, we said we could stick with riskier assets because they actually benefit. The fundamentals, we were still 
we're turning a blind eye to, we're, we're paying 20 times, 30 times earnings for stocks. Sometimes 30 is a really extreme. 20 times, 22 times earnings is probably the right way of saying that. When in historically, we'd say 15%, but historically interest rates were higher. So he sees a bubble. Let's talk a little bit more about housing. He says, I believe the housing market in the next big chunk of time. Un- Do you own real estate? Listen to what Jerry Grantham said. I believe the housing markets around the world will spend the next big chunk of time unraveling and causing all manner of perhaps unexpected problems. Let's talk a little bit about real estate. Got an email recently about someone who overpaid for fear of missing out. His question was, I was the victim of fear of missing out during the housing market craziness and bought a house for $200,000 over the asking price. Now housing prices are coming back to reality and I feel like I lost my hard-earned money. I don't know what to do as I'm living with constant stress thinking that I made a big financial mistake. I'm not sure if I should consult uh, an advisor or not. Interesting, right? I had to ask some follow-ups and him and his wife were in their 30s, living in the Bay Area, making about $350,000 a year. Can you imagine making $350,000 a year and saying, I think I made a, a financial mistake? He said, we bought our first condo in an average neighborhood back in 2016. We didn't have kids at that time and we wanted to stay close to our job location since we both uh, had to go to the office pretty much every day. Then they needed more space because they started making a baby. They wanted a good, safe neighborhood. Sounds like his wife talking, not him. Good school. Sounds like his wife talking, not him. Good work-life balance of we need parks and and greenways to to walk and bicycle with our child in Struder. So he found a nice neighborhood. He a little bit further away than he wanted from his job. He made a sacrifice. He paid $200,000 over asking. And this was in the last year. So after all that stress of bidding and finding a home and, and thinking like, this is, this is it, honey, we're buying our second house in five years. Now that's where the first thing I've seen a problem is real estate needs some time. It's not supposed to be instant gratification. In his head, he started thinking instant gratification and fear of missing out is the opposite of of instant gratification. He sees everyone else hitting home runs with real estate. And essentially, for the last 10 years, I've gone to my my CFP, my financial planner at EP Wealth. I keep updating my financials and I keep adding 100,000 for this house and 40,000 for this house and 200,000 for this house and 60. So every year, my net worth was going up. Loved it. But I'm talking about over the last 10 years, not over the last five. Last five, you got to throw in the pandemic and say, weird. We had a normal market with pretty low interest rates. Then we had the pandemic with super low interest rates. And now we have the, are we out of the pandemic yet? Because it still smells a little pandemic-ish to me. So his idea was ultimately that he was going to move into this apartment or this home and out of the condo. And ultimately him and his wife decided it's too far away from work. (laughs) And that they would stay in the condo with their baby, their baby. So they got a little wishy-washy and put renters in. 
this is problematic. Their monthly mortgage is $4,450. They're only getting $3,250 in rent. So they're losing $1,000, $1,200 a month. I, I do not understand how people do that. Having been in the Bay Area for 20 years, Bay Area real estate, I can tell you that I see that often. And what that leads to is potential bankruptcy. If you really can't, well, first and foremost, they were going to live there and they were going to rent out the condo, which makes more sense to me because they probably have some sweat equity in the condo. Um, and they could probably say, you know, we could afford to lose a little bit of money. But right now, they, they extended their life. They, they had a fear of missing out. They bid, overbid by 200000 And now they need to know what to do. Should they sell it or not? And the first thing you do is you, you put together a financial plan. You got to make every consideration possibly known to you and your spouse so you can see it in front of you. You can go to a local real estate agent and see what they have as far as a sense of what's going on in your markets right now. They can tell you maybe, you know, wait a year. It's really slow right now. Usually, though, with realtors, and I'm not knocking all realtors, but this is my experience is they've never found a house they didn't want to sell. They're like, oh, what are you going to do with your old house? So would I sell my new home? I would consider it if you're going to be cash flow negative for a few years. Yeah. And you really can't afford that. Yes. Take a loss and just call yourself an idiot. And that's fine. And and when I say that, I'm not trying to be mean. I've made financial mistakes. I spent way too much pursuing love in my 20s. Took a girl uh, who I'm not married to, to the front row of a, a concert in Miami. Had the time of our lives, the best food, the best hotel experiences, the best concert experience. Whoa. Gave a high five to the performer on stage kind of thing, you know? But economically speaking, it's pretty financially stupid. Um, I don't know. I, I don't want to say he should sell because that's big advice to everyone in the country that I'm talking to right now. And it really depends on the market. <clears throat> Could he take another job? Yeah. Could he cut his budget based on how much he's spending on restaurants? Possibly. Um, but you bought for the long term and then you want out in the short term, it's going to financially cost you. Look at all your options before you pull the trigger and get out of it. Because you're buying and selling real estate really fast right now. Two homes in five years, that's a lot of action. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. I'm Rob Black. Visit the Rob Black Show online at robblackshow.com. Listen to archived podcasts, market updates, and information from EP Wealth's certified financial planners online at robblackshow.com. Sometimes from segment to segment of the podcast, radio cast, broadcast, whatever you want to call it. Um, I like to link from story to story, idea to idea. And I was just talking about real estate and how a young couple got in and fear of missing out and he wants to panic and he doesn't know what to do. Every decision he made along the way, buying a second home within five years felt rushed to me. Spending over 200000 feels uncomfortable to me. And wanting to get out quickly feels he's going to take a lump. When you put a renter in who you're paying an extra $1,200 in the mortgage so they can live there, you're assuming that it goes up $12,000 in value. 
per year, at least to cover that, right? I would be very patient. This could be turn out to be the best thing that ever happened to you if you can afford the payment. Not necessarily will it be the $200,000 will you make up immediately. You probably won't. But the lesson that I want to walk away with this one is you, you afford payments. You don't really care about prices. Two years ago, I bought the home that I'm living in now. And I actually am paying less because I got a lower cost mortgage to live here in a bigger home in a nicer neighborhood than I was in the previous neighborhood and previous county. Um, I couldn't afford to keep the last home in this home. I don't want to be a landlord. More so than the cash flow or the equity growth, I didn't want that. Um, I've got enough rentals. I've got enough homes. I got. I've got enough. I don't have to keep hitting the home run. You know. This is my opinion. Consult a work advisor, particular action on any stocks or th- thoughts ever in your life. You really should work with people who know you. I want to know Generation Z a little bit better. Five, 10 years ago, I wanted, said, I want to know the millennials a little bit better. They spend more money than I do. 15% of my paycheck goes to retirement no matter what. Then I still have to pay the same thing they have to. Homes, cars, lifestyle, food. But I'm at that 15%. So that's my that's my wiggle room money. That's my woohoo money. I'm saving. I value myself as a saver. Fortunately, I married a woman who is more a saver than a spender. But I think you should tonight, Nintendo, don't play this game with your spouse because it will ruin your marriage. But it's a fun one. We have 10 hot questions. Like, are you a Republican or a Democrat? And you you both write down your answers. And then slowly during dinner, are you a spender versus a saver? Were your parents spenders versus savers? Were your parents good investors? Um, We should have an interview process with a woman, with the other sex, or with the people you love. We should have an interview process before we commit to a relationship with them. I mean, you have to be compatible on a love level. On a physical level, for sure, for sure, for sure. But I think it, it helps to be compatible on a, a spending level or a, uh, how do you approach money level. One of the most annoying things, I'm a gener- generation Xer. And I, I'm telling you, like every 10 years, I want to learn more about the next generation. I learned about my generation when I was dating Juliet, the girl who I did take to that uh, concert in Miami, by the way, who was an amazing love of my life. And it just didn't work out because we both started companies at the same time. Um, but one of her friends taught me a lesson back when I was in my twenties was she says, Oh yeah, my friend, let's say her name was Camilla. It wasn't, but I, it was Lisa. I think her friend Lisa had been bankrupt twice and she's only like 24, 25. I'm like, what's up with that? The bankruptcy laws are there for you. And I don't look bad on anyone who takes advantage of them. If you get in over your head, yeah, you should apply for bankruptcy so that you can clear debts so you can start saving money. I have I I I'm not going to say I don't respect people who spend 25 years paying off that credit card. I'd go bankrupt and wipe it off. Say, sorry, 
and move on and start saving and doing it correct the second time. So, okay. So I studied Generation Z a lot. Um, their favorite IT is Amazon. 53% say it's Amazon. Then it's Shine, S-H-E-I-N. I'm like, what is that? So when I was reading these surveys, I'm like, I got to get a little bit of homework on what is that? Their next favorite IT is uh, Nike at 6% and PacSun at 2%. I'm like, whoa. <clears throat> I saw Amazon and Nike coming. I didn't see Shine and PacSun coming. Is PacSun an investment? What is Shine? S-E-H. S-H-E-I-N. I'm like, I got to find that one out. Further to this study. And it's such a G- Gen Z thing is what I call this study. When you start looking at people in charts, I love charts for the record. My favorite pie chart is of how much pie I eat in a week. I love pie. TikTok, 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 TikTok. Listen to this. TikTok had 11.6 billion views on Generation Z's favorite app. How much time are they spending scrolling through TikTok every day? Less than 30 minutes, 9% of TikTokers. Generation Z TikTokers. Less than 30 minutes, 9%. Of Generation Z TikTokers, 30 minutes to an hour, 17%. Of Generation Z TikTokers, one to two hours, 32%. One to two hours in a day. Of Generation Z, how much time do they spend on TikTok? Three to four hours? 22%. Do you see these numbers? Now, one to two hours is the, the highest level at 32%, but three to four hours is 22%. Five plus hours. How could five plus hours spent on one app actually be part of a survey? Welcome to Generation Z. 20% spend five plus hours a day. Now, back in the 80s when I was growing up as a teenager, we probably said, how many hours do you watch sitcoms? How many hours do you watch uh, television? We weren't being logged by our app usage. Further in this charts of Generation Z, the number of Generation Z shoppers that use buy now, pay later. In 2018, it was 1.7 percent of Generation Z was using buy now, pay later. In 2019, it jumped up to two, 10.9%. In 2020, 21.6%. Now, I'm going to give 2020 a, a kind of a off. Because I look at 2020 as, yeah, we were pretty locked down. So I get buy now, pay later. But 2021, 36.8%. By 2022, it's 44% are using buy now, pay later. That's a dangerous number. Because to me, buy now, pay later equals, and this is the algebra of my brain, higher interest rates. And if you're paying higher interest rates, you're paying more for the same thing that I get. Now, let's go back and make me a Generation Z. Like, whatever. If I'm a 20-year-old Generation Zer and you're a 20-year-old Generation Zer, and I have a lower interest rate on my mortgage, I'm in a better position than you for the long term. If in the short term, I buy an Apple iPhone and you buy an Apple iPhone and I pay cash and you do it buy now, pay later, we both bought a phone that was worth, quote unquote, $1,200, even though we're spending five hours a day plus scrolling through TikTok. 
whoa. It's almost like uh, the ultimate monopoly would be if Apple were to buy TikTok, right? If you're paying more for the same product that I am, I'm the winner. You're, you're walking straight into the Darwinian wood chipper and you don't see it coming. By 2023, it's expected 46.5% generation, uh, 46.5% of Generation Z will use Buy Now, Pay Letter. By 2024, that'll be up to 47.3. By 2025, it'll be up to 47.4. So yeah, a lot of explosive growth happened between 2018 and 2022. And now the growth is expected to slow. I would not be going after buy now, pay later stocks like Klarna. As I see the growth as they had their glory days. Now it's starting to stabilize. If they're not making money now, they're probably not going to get there unless they're able to take that large percentage of Generation Zers who use the service buy now, pay later and monetize it finally. So far, no monetization. Now that's fair. It took Tesla five plus years of losing an enormous amount of money before they started making an enormous amount of money. For the record, I think Tesla is in for a tough 2023 with competition and a CEO who is now perceived as losing his focus. So the buy now, pay later, I think Generation Z years are hurting themselves. There are a few Y2K trends one minute. We wish stayed in the past, like velour tracksuits. But we have Generation Z to thank for for bringing back wider leg jeans. Thank you. Uh, 2018, skinny jeans, 41% of Generation Z versus straight leg jeans, 28%. I know you're saying, where's this going, Rob? 2019, that uh, straight leg was up to 29%. By 2020, it was up to 32%. By 2021, it was up to 33%. You know what a luxury brand is right now? It's going to kill you when I tell you this. In my generation, is Jordache that had tight jeans. This year, it's Levi's. And that is a, an investable trend. You can buy Levi's? Yep. Blue jeans. I'm Rob Black. This interview featured on The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more at robblack.com. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. I always like finding the odd. And the odd in this case is, in my opinion, um, What's happening with airlines, Southwest Airlines is having just an odd end of 2022, start of 20, uh, end of 22. So a lot of lost luggage, a lot of lost luggage, stranding hordes of passengers during peak holiday seasons. Um, I guess we could say seasons, right? I think so. Um, but this is odd because not only are passengers being stranded, not only are holidays being disrupted, not only are vacations being messed with, but luggage is being lost at an enormously fast rate. So guess who's a big winner on this? Apple AirTags. As people started hearing of others losing luggage, they're like, I better get on Amazon and order some AirTags. Similar related terms like Apple AirTags for luggage have grown by more than 5,000%. According to Google Trends, 
that's pretty crazy. Apple AirTags are currently listed as the third most popular electronic on Amazon, a nine-spot jump from two weeks ago. So even when there's a news story like disruption of air travel, somehow companies like Apple can step up and be big winners. Speaking of big winners, Patrick O'Hare with Briefing.com. How are you, Mr. O'Hare? Happy New Year. I'm doing well. Yeah, same to you. Have you lost any luggage ever in your life? I have, as a matter of fact. And I was just listening to your segment there and... uh, I guess if only Apple's AirTags could actually then deliver the luggage to you, that would be even better. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's one thing to know where your luggage is, but it's still another not to have it with you. That's fair enough. And I'm sure there's some company right now in Silicon Valley coming up with that idea of direct to your door from AirTags. But um, do you remember when AirTags started, there was a big controversy of creepy men, creepy boyfriends putting them in their girlfriend's cars to track where they were going. And we were like, we don't know if we need this this product. And then... Suddenly, we decide we need the product. Uh, that's right. <laughs> I guess that's uh, technology for you, and how quickly we can kind of acclimate to uh, to new sources of tracking. You know. So, well, happy New Year! And the New Year's not starting off great for the stock market. Do you have any faith in the story? That you know, you, you alluded to it today in your page one of the, how the last five days of 2022 go, the first two days of 2023 go. In your page one, you talked about this is not exactly boding well in historical trends, not necessarily Patrick O'Hare's opinion. Yeah, right. Well, you know, actually, Rob, historically, that that period, what we're talking about, the so-called Santa Claus rally period it does have a reasonable track record of, of being successful. If you get a net gain over that seven day stretch, it, it has often portended good things for the, for the start of the year. Um, what I did highlight in that column this morning though, is that, you know, 2022 was a major exception to that. Uh, we did see a, you know, a net gain in the 2021 Santa Claus rally period, but then January and the first quarter of last year were abysmal. Um, so it's just asserting that, you know, you can never really, you know, rest fully on, on on the historical data. Every year is different. Um, you know, we're in a, a different place now uh, than we have been in most years with uh, with the Fed in a you know tightening mode uh, and with uh, economic growth weakening and earnings estimates in question. So, um, so it's a nice you know it's a kind of a nice little anecdote to think that you could have a positive year if you get in that game. Uh, but um, or a positive start to the year, uh, but it's nothing we would, you know, uh, take. You, you, you have to take it with a grain of salt, too. It's nice to see. It's nice to talk about. It keeps us talking about money and investing, but it's not necessarily the smartest thing to follow blindly, I think is what you're getting at. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> and I would say that for most of these kind of historical indicators, you know, they're nice things to talk about. It's nice to think about. But every year is different, and you just have to take the year that's right in front of you and, and you know, operate accordingly. So let's turn the page back to day one of the uh, stock market yesterday. The thing that I took out of it was Congress wasn't able to get a Speaker of the House. And I'm trying to build stories every day and craft ideas. And no Speaker of the House probably means no big agenda for Congress for the next two years dysfunctional Congress not getting stuff done, also known as gridlock, has historically been pretty good for Wall Street. Again, something nice to talk about, not necessarily something that's um, practical advice. 
Any thoughts on where we are with the political Congress and president as far as helping out after inflation subsides and the recession plays out in 2023, whether it does or doesn't, whether it's a big one or a small one? Is Congress going to be a player, do you think? Uh, Only probably in a negative way uh, if we get into some type of debt ceiling standoff, you know. Otherwise, I think what you've alluded to is that you're kind of in a, in a gridlocked environment for the next two years, at least, where you're not going to see major legislative action uh, passed. I think the, that ship has sailed now with the turnover in Congress and Republicans gaining control of the House, Democrats having control of the Senate. Um, you know, so I, I You know, gridlock can be a good thing, but so it only kind of leads knowing going in anyway that you're not likely to get any major legislation passed. Then you're left to focus on the things that could really upend the market because of partisan fights within Congress. And, uh, you know, as we all know, uh, that debt ceiling issue looms out there kind of every year uh, and it could be fairly divisive this year. So we have to keep our eye out for that uh, in coming months. Um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, hopefully we don't, you know, hopefully we can avoid that drama, but it is a potential source of drama. So taking a look at your page one today, I had a little technical difficulties. We're getting big floods, uh, rains here today. Um, in 2022, I've been quoting you more about S and P 500 earnings need to come down while my thought has always been job cuts need to increase because that's the way to kill inflation. People don't have paychecks. They don't spend money. If they don't spend money, then goods come down in price to, to move the goods. Um, and that's way, way too basic. But how do you feel about today? You mentioned Salesforce.com cutting 10% of their employees. The, the tech seems to be taking the brunt of job losses. Do we need it more widespread? Uh, where are you at with the job losses and the earnings expectation cuts? Right. Yeah. So I think um, looking at it more from the angle of how the Fed's looking at it, uh, I would argue that, yes, unfortunately, we do need more job cuts. Um, you're right that the bulk of the kind of mass uh, layoffs here, it seems, have been coming from the technology sector, which, uh, which is, you know, CEO Mark Benioff from Salesforce said today, it's kind of like they, you know, out, out of the pandemic, they overhired, right? And so you're kind of now going back to the mean, I guess, in some ways, uh, because the, the demand environment that they thought was going to be there is not there right now. Um, so uh, and what I alluded to in page one is like from that micro company standpoint, this could be a good thing for Salesforce's underlying profitability as they aim to cut costs to, and adjust their cost base for a, a weaker demand environment. But the macro message is not necessarily that great, and, and it's likely to be the start of more things to come from more companies. And as it relates to the Fed, you know, Fed Chair Powell has, has said that you you know, you have uh, a labor market that's still quite tight. I mean, we have an unemployment rate that's still near a 50-year low. And what we saw in the November JOLTS job openings report today, that you still have about 1.7 job openings for every unemployed worker, officially counted unemployed worker. Uh, and so that does not necessarily denote a real, you know, loose uh, labor situation. And so we're likely to be stuck, unfortunately, with the pressures of a tight labor market that are going to manifest themselves in sticky wage inflation that in turn will make it difficult to bring down the services inflation that the Fed wants to see come down. So still more work to that needs to be done, certainly, I think, as it relates to layoffs uh, and weakening the job market to uh, to satisfy the Fed. 
what else are you currently working on that we need to be aware of? Because I've kind of messed up the segment with a bad microphone and uh, <laughs> with leading questions. Yeah, no, no worries at all, Rob. Um, so, uh, you know, we've been talking about employment a lot. And, of course, we have the December employment situation report coming out uh, this Friday. Um, and I think that, you know, one of the things that we're going to have to get accustomed to in 2023 is, there's a lot of chop between each economic release because, you know, what we learned last year is that the Fed was instrumental in kind of dictating market direction. That'll still be the case this year, but uh, more importantly, we think is that the, the trend in earnings estimates will be the, you know, the primary driver this year as kind of the, as the lag effect of the Fed's rate hikes start to make their way through the real economy. And so we're going to need to be uh, either uh, satisfied knowing that the Fed's prior rate hikes have not tanked the economy, or we're going to have to come to grips with perhaps the reality that they have. And that's why there's going to be a lot of attention to each major economic release, and the employment situation report will be key among them. Uh, and so the big picture columnists will probably be oriented around what uh, trends we're seeing in that report. Thanks very much. It's Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com. I'm a little nervous on my microphone today, so I'm going to throw that out there for you. Um, you can find briefing.com at, and when I say nervous about my microphone, it's the internet. We're getting five inches of rain plus in my county today. Um, it's Patrick O'Hare with briefing.com, a reliable source of domestic and international news that you can use. I start my every, I start my day every day, and we're starting the year off with Patrick O'Hare. And um, I honestly think he is the best there is. Um, I just dig the way he's able to talk, Fed Reserve, investing, um, expectations, lowered expectations, higher expectations. I've used this company for over 20 years as a product, and there's no endorsements. There's no, there, there are no fees or anything like that. It's truly a, a pleasure to talk to him every week. It's Rob Black uh, sitting in for Rob Black. You can find me on robblackshow.com. You can find briefing at briefing.com. For more information about EP Wealth, visit robblack.com. That's robblack.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com. <laughs> 